If you absolutely don't want to use your cell phone, we still have our orange cards that you can still fill out and let us know that you're here so we can connect with you because we would love to do that. Tonight, we're doing something very special. We're honoring our teachers. So to start off tonight, before we do that later in, the, um, in our service, I thought it would be fun, teachers, parents, those that have interacted with students. Have you guys remember that show, Kids Say the Darndest Things? So because kids say that, sometimes teachers have to say the darndest things. So I have some teacher quotes that I may have had to say personally, or I've heard my teachers saying at the school, or I've heard other teachers saying. So the first quote I have is, please stop licking the walls. The second quote I have is, why are you smelling her? I actually heard that one. The third, I just gave you a pencil 10 minutes ago. Where is it? Exactly. You were giving me the responses. I love that. The next one is, yes, it is a beautiful drawing, but it's all over your math test. No. I'm sorry, sweetheart. You can't wear your Chewbacca mask all day today. The next one. Unfortunately, I don't know what the seventh largest reptile in the world is. I'm sorry. Um, unfortunately, I can't make your 50% round up to an A. It's just not mathematically possible. <laughs> and those books would work a lot better if you tried opening them up. And finally, no, I was, and I've actually said this, because my son at his kindergarten thing last year for guessing my age said I was 83. <laughs> my husband was 21. How that happened, I don't know, because he has more gray hair than me. But anyway, I had to set Joshua straight. But no, I was not alive when Abraham Lincoln was president. So please enjoy your service. Stand up and greet one another. church. It's so great to see you guys. If those of you outside could come on in and join us in some worship. Take my place. 
there I am. So this part of the service is near and dear to my heart. It's what I do um, to serve the Lord. I, I work here at this school. And so today we're taking the opportunity to honor teachers and those who work with students, which uh, is just an amazing opportunity. And as parents, we hand over our kiddos to spend more time with them in a day than we actually spend with them sometimes. And so I wanted to read to you something that someone in our congregation who's a teacher wrote 
about her teaching experience last year. It says, every teacher has those years that are harder than others, the ones that really stick with you as seasons of growth. This past year was one of those years for me. It started with a lot of unknowns and change, and I don't happen to be a big fan of either of those. When the job gets tough, it can get hard to see the good. But God was extremely faithful this year and continued to show up again and again. He showed up through the student that told me he no longer hates math anymore, he just doesn't like it. And the student that told me that she was having a bad day, but when she pictures my face, it makes her smile. And the teacher that, the teacher that told me that my classroom is such a place of peace. And the student that told me I would make such a great mom. And the parent who emailed me to let me know that her son made it and he graduated from high school. And my husband, you can clap, that's okay. And my husband who reminded me that my job is to work for the Lord and honor him and no one else. Teaching isn't always glamorous, but God has placed me there years ago and continues to be in all of it. I do what I do because it's the work the Lord has tasked me with and blessed me with. I get to be a vessel of his love every day, and I get to laugh and love and teach these kiddos every day. And when I allow myself to pause, I see how he continues to show up in the big and the small moments of it all. Isn't that wonderful? So if you are a teacher, if you're the teacher's assistant, if you work in administration with children, can you please stand up because we want to honor you. Don't be shy. Stand up. I have our uh, host team. They're going to be coming around. They have something for you. We have a Tumblr for you. It says, you are loved because you are loved. We do love you here at Olive Branch, and we, we love what you're doing for kids and making the difference in the lives of these children. And we don't take that for granted. You are training up our next generation. Inside this mug is a card. We actually have a really cool raffle prize for our teachers. It's a basket of all the things that you want to buy, but you don't have the money this month to do because it's back to school time. And it's also got a $100 Amazon gift card in it for you to buy some extra stuff too. So please make sure that you drop that off. If you are standing, if you sat down, you did not listen to my instructions. You are teachers. Come on. If you are standing, I want you to continue to stand. And those that are around in the area, can you come alongside them? Just put your hands on them. We're going to pray over them as they begin their year and pour into the lives of these children. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just come before you, Lord. We thank you for the time, the talents, and abilities that you have equipped these people with, Lord, to train up our next generation, Lord, to pour into the lives of these students and their families, God. What an opportunity, Lord an opportunity to show your love, to show your grace, to show your mercy, God. And we know, Lord, that days can be tough and things can be tasking, just like we read. But ultimately, when the sun sets, even like we learned at VBS, no matter what we face, God is good. You are good all the time. And we ask that you would just pour blessings over these teachers, over these principals, over these teachers' assistants. God, equip them to do what they need to do on those days when they just want to walk God, give them the strength. Give them those celebrations. Give them the moments of victory, Lord, in your name and in your glory and in your majesty. God, give them what they need to approach this year, Lord. Maybe they're going into a year that already seems tough, Lord. Give them that peace that passes all understanding. Give them those aha moments with their kids 
And Lord, when they look at the the faces of those babies, that they would just see that they are fearfully and wonderfully made in you. God, we love you and we thank you for them and we ask that you would bless them. Bless them physically, bless them emotionally, bless them financially. Meet every need that they have this year as they pour into these children. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I don't know if you've noticed our prayer in the back. We have an area designated for prayer in the back. If you need prayer, please do not hesitate. There doesn't have to be anything monumental crazy happening. We want you to come back there. Maybe there's something you're going to face this week. Maybe you want to pray for someone else. There's a prayer team back there every night, every Saturday night, and we want you to use them. That's their gift. That's their talent. They want to pray with you. So please don't hesitate to go back there and use that time for prayer. Also, as the service hosts come forward, we just want to um, just take this time to give our, our first fruits to God and just to say, thank him for all that he's done for us. So will you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you how, like that letter I wrote, no matter what we're facing, you show up. If we are obedient and we're looking for you, you're already there. It's not that you show up. I shouldn't have even said that. You're there. Lord, it's just when we choose to see you in the midst of it all. And so we just pray as as we come before you and we're praying over the finances, Lord, that you would bless it, especially as we're talking about just going out, as Pastor Greg is saying, we want to follow these red lines and keep going. Don't stop and reach out to the community. Reach out to the people. Father God, just equip us to do that here at Olive Branch. We want you to bless, Lord, that that finance and, and bless the church. Bless this tithe. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine with me as we close out this series that you've found yourself in the small city in the middle of uh, what would be modern day Turkey. There, a long stretch of road stretches out in front of you and uh, it's, it's pure dirt. There is a uh, several tents that are beginning to be set up around you as the hubbub and the conversation begins to grow as the morning kind of begins. You see the, uh, the, the priests of Zeus begin to walk out towards the temple that adorns the front gate of your small city. You are yourself brought into a location in which you are sat down in the middle of the agora, the marketplace. And as people hawk their wares and you begin to listen and hear various people talking about their different philosophies and their different concepts of how to live the good life. And as you're watching and listening, you see two men enter the city. You've never seen them before, though you've sat there every single day for the majority of your life because you can't even move. You're crippled, you've never walked before, and you've never been able to to get away from the simple fact your family needs you to beg. And this is the case that would have happened for what I'm going to call a man named Linus. 
And as Linus would be sitting there in a city called Lystra, as he is watching all of this hubbub happen around him, he's noticing these two men come in. They pick out a location. They would set up a shop, probably laying out some of wares that they, they had thought about bringing or whatever. They would begin to begin to speak to the crowds and themselves engaging other philosophers. And as they were speaking, they would have had a crowd gather up and ask them questions like, what is your name and where do you come from and who is your father? And they would have heard, oh, my name is Paul, my name is Barnabas, we, we come from Israel, we come from far away down in uh, Judea. And they'd be like, what brings you here? What, what do you have to say? And they would have begun a dialogue with these people. And as that man, Linus, is sitting there listening because he has nowhere to go and he's asking for aid and asking for help, suddenly he, begin, he begins to hear these stories of this one named Jesus, this one who had come to the, the city of, or to the city of Bethsaida. And while he was there, he began to preach a message of the coming of God's rule on earth and the connection that people could have with God. And so he begins to show that this is possible. And in his itinerant preaching, he goes around, he's healing people and he's casting out demons. And he begins to hear one particular story. And one day when the room was packed and Jesus is preaching and suddenly above a, a hole opens and a man who himself was paralyzed is brought down before him. And in the middle of the, of the crowd, he, he makes this remark, your sins are forgiven. And as Paul and Barnabas are sharing the story, Linus is leaning in as best as he can on his mat. And he's listening carefully as Jesus then says to the crowd, oh, you don't think I can uh, forgive sins? Which is easier to say to this man, get up, pick up your mat and go home or your sins are forgiven? A murmur across the crowd, well, obviously it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus says, so that you can know that I've been given authority to forgive sins on earth, pick up your mat and go home. And the man stands, rises, walks away with his mat, and the crowd sits astonished. And they continue to hear this story. Now Linus is locked in. Who is this man that even the, those who, like me, can stand up and walk? And he hears about his crucifixion. He hears about his resurrection. He hears about his power over the gods and his ability now to, to take all authority in himself. And that they have been sent there as people who have been called to spread this message that all are being invited now to trust in this one Jewish Messiah. And he hears the story of Paul and how he came to faith and what had happened. And as they're listening to this, he, he, Paul suddenly notices the man sitting there, notices Linus, looks at him intently, and he says to him, get up and walk. And Linus just with faith, trusting that this man has this power, if he's come back from the dead, pushes with his hands, finds his feet, springs to his feet, fully balanced, fully capable, and the crowd goes nuts, you can imagine, as this man stands up and walks over to Paul and Barnabas and says, like, what is going, you know, expresses what is going on. And the people in Lystra are going nuts. The Agora is exploding with conversations, and they're just shouting in a language called Lyconian. Paul and Barnabas have no idea what's going on. And they look over at Linus, what's happening? And Linus says, it starts translating, they, they think you're the gods. Come, they think you're Zeus. And he looks at Barnabas because he's a little older. They think you're Zeus. And they think you, Paul, because you're a, a talker, are Hermes, his, his spokesman. And they're going to go sacrifice a bull for you. They're going to go worship you. And the whole place is going nuts. As now Paul and Barnabas are faced with something they've never experienced before. You see, last time they've ever seen a miracle, 
Last time we've seen miracles in, in, the, in the book of Acts as we've been looking through, you actually see a whole crowd come to faith. You see an expression of people getting so excited about what has happened. They're like, we need to know who this Jesus is. But not in this case. Something's different. And when, in fact, we want to examine what's different in this particular story. Because everything leads you to believe everybody should be coming to faith. And yet, it's the opposite. They're now trying to run and worship their gods. And in the middle of this cultural confusion, we have another restriction we're going to knock down. In fact, our final two restrictions as we finish out this series called No Restrictions Apply. And so as I've walked you into Lyconium, you can now join me in where we're at by opening your Bibles to Acts chapter 14, where we find this historical event laid out by Dr. Luke. And so if, you, if you're new with us and this is your first time, uh, we are opening to a, what is a, used to be a scroll now in the collection of the Bible, and we call it the book of Acts. Originally, it was a second part of a two-part volume written by a man that we call Dr. Luke. He was a physician and also a man who followed um, Paul the Apostle around, and he was asked by a Roman official to put together a history of Jesus and the early church. And so he, this is his history of the early church, covering about the first 30 years of the church since the resurrection of Jesus. And where we've come to now is through a series of events. The gospel has gone from Jerusalem throughout Judea into Samaria, and now it's spreading into the globe. And when we talk about a gospel going global, there are many Christians, uh, many of us included, who said, you know what, that's not for me. I've never been called to missions. And we built all kinds of restrictions. And in this series, through this section of Acts, we've been saying, you know what, we need to drop those restrictions. We need to go from an I can't mentality to an I can mentality. We've looked at outreach and discipleship and leadership training. We actually prayed and sent out a couple of leaders from our own congregation in order to live this out. We've called you guys to pray for nations. We've called you guys to pray for various people in your area. We, we've done a lot in this series to emphasize the fact that the gospel has no restrictions that apply to us. And the only thing that could stop it is us not going. That's it, right? And what I want to encourage you guys today is to see that there is one more thing that oftentimes we can get confused by, we can get held up on, and I don't want you guys to, and that is this concept of cultural confusion. So what is going on in this case is that Paul and Barnabas have just escaped persecution from a town called Iconium. And now they've launched out to go to a new direction. And they've headed 20 miles south to a small city off the beaten path called Lystra. And the events that I just narrated for you have occurred. There is this miracle that's happened. People are confused. And so as we begin to see in Acts 14, that now they are out to worship him. Verse 12 begins, Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer and sacrifice with the crowds. And so there is this clear confusion they take a miracle and assume this is happening because the gods have come. And we think, what a cute little podunk town back there with their little gods and stuff. They think that this is real Zeus. And, you know, what are they reading? The, reading some kind of Jordan or whatever kind of mythology stuff. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is, this is their common culture. This is what they believed. In fact, what's interesting for us, it's no different in our culture. It's no different for the global missionary 
The global missionary steps into Hindu India, and as he begins to present the gospel, what often happens is they hear this message of Jesus and go, that's cool, we'll just put Jesus up here with all the other three million gods we have. It doesn't get outside of that. When they go to Muslim uh, Iran or Iraq and they hear about Jesus, what they see is, oh, this is the Jesus of the Quran. And so we'll simply take that Jesus and we'll be okay with what you say. That's interesting, but we don't need your Jesus. We have something greater, even though we know who Jesus is. They make assumptions. And so today we can go out and we can talk to our neighbors. We can tell our friends, you can go to a James Project and you can slave away in the heat to help somebody out. And people go, what good people. They're so nice to help people out like that. And we can say, no, it's about Jesus. And they go, that's nice. What good people. You're such nice people to go about and doing nice stuff for people like that. Or our culture will hear the message of Jesus, that God has loved you so much that he gave his son Jesus to die for your sins, to bear that away so that you could live again. And they go, yeah, I know God loves me. Loves me so much he gave me his son. I'm good with that. And that's why I'm going to live my life the way I know I've been made to live. Because God loves me. And that's the new cultural version. And they take the very message and they take it to apply it to their idea of love and their idea of how things work. So that what happens is the cultural confusion, the way we view the world, and technically it's called a worldview, affects the way that you hear a message. It's true within the church. It's true when we begin to talk about certain things. We make all these assumptions from your past. Maybe who's trained you up in discipleship. Maybe I talk about uh, the, the beginning of the world. And you have a whole constructive way that you view it. You, you, may, you may believe it's just six days and boom, God did it. And he rested on the seventh. That settles it for me. It is six literal days. Boom. Some of you may be going like, no, it's evolution and God structured it. And, you know, there's a lot of worldview that goes on in the background of a lot of people's minds. And it affects the way that we hear it. And this cultural confusion, to be quite honest, is the number one reason most of us don't engage in evangelism anymore. It just takes so much time to explain it. You feel like, I can't tell you you're wrong. I feel like I can't just tell you, you know, you, no, you didn't hear me. That's not actually what I'm saying. And so there's some boldness that needs to go on. Because what Paul and Barnabas are going to tell us to do is, is we're going to see that we must cut through the confusion for the gospel to be received. We have to cut through cultural confusion. Here in their case, the cultural confusion is they think those two are gods. That's a weird thought, but they just did see a miracle. I mean, this guy stands up, never walked before. They all know him. They're going like, okay, only the gods have this power. You two must be it. And so Paul and Barnabas respond when they find this out with some interesting way. It begins this way in verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. They go on, sorry, I lost my place. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. And so they have a response. And their response to the cultural confusion that was facing them was not to go, well, I guess that's what you believe. Have a good day and walk away. No, they engaged. 
And in fact, to cut through the cultural confusion, what they did is they started with something very specific. They started with compassion. And and you'll see it. This is so important because in our culture of trolling one another on the internet, on our culture of expressing ourselves and just being authentic and this is who I am, we've got to start with some compassion. We've got to begin with hurting for one another and caring about one another even more than caring about winning the argument. That that hits me, especially when you note this. Look at what Paul and Barnabas did right at the beginning there in verse 14. It says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd. And this idea isn't like, stupid people worshiping God. No, this was... Typically, when you tear your garments, it's an emotional response of compassion, like, ah, it's frustration. It's this intensity of, no, this isn't right. And so they tear their garments in an expression of the pain that this is causing them. That these people took the very message of Jesus, the miracle that points to that message, and they go, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with something to do with that. And you've heard this. This has been done to you. And somebody has heard your message of Jesus. They've heard you share it and they go, that's cool. I'm not going to listen to you because that doesn't mean this. That means this. That's your belief and I'm glad that works for you. Right? That's a cultural expression. That doesn't actually mean anything. Because they're not engaging you. They're dodging you. And we need to see that this kind of stuff happens. And so you have to have compassion because honestly, it's far easier just to get angry. It's far easier just to want to be right. I mean, I'm the kind of guy, my danger is you hit my theology button and I start talking and I, and, and I have a tendency with my eyebrows to look more and more angry as the more and more intense I get, okay? So I just start getting into it. I'm just like, there's this. And then you got to realize science says this, 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 this. And people start like, I watch it. They just glaze over. They're like, I'm gone. This guy's crazy. Who's the, who's the nerd man that just won't be quiet? And, I've, and it's horrible because I've, I've sat there across from family members who are asking simple questions. I start going off. And it's like I have an out-of-body experience. I'm looking at myself going, shut up. Is this about compassion or are you just trying to show off how smart you are? And we have to watch ourselves because we want to care about people. We want to show our compassion and connect with them. When you see them take your message and run off towards sin, that should not make you angry as much as it should show you the symptom of why they need to know Jesus even more. And it should call to our hearts to say, ah, that's a symptom. That's not the problem. And maybe you're not a Christian here today. Maybe you're just hanging out and you hear Christians always talking about sin and you're a sinner and got to love this, love the sinner and hate the sin and all this kind of stuff that just makes you uncomfortable. The bottom line is sin is is an expression of a problem. And we get a little fixated on it sometimes because the bottom line is it bugs us in ourselves. And we all have sin. We all mess it up. And sometimes we forget we were being, somebody was compassionate to us. We got to be compassionate to them. Last week, Jared had a scroll up here and we, we put names on it. And we took one of those cards and you wrote down names, four names on there. And then, You may be like, I wouldn't hear, I didn't get to do that. Well, that's fine. You don't have to be left out. Actually, back on the tables in the back of these two sections are those cards. You can grab one and and fill those out. But what we're doing is we want to pray for the people that we love around us, for the people that we desire to see know Jesus, because we want our hearts to be moved with compassion. And so that's the call. 
as a move to compassion, to cut through the cultural confusion, we then need to go to another step. I believe we should ask good questions. You're not ready to preach yet until you've listened. We need to ask good questions. Notice what they say. They go, men, why are you doing these things? Now, that's a weird question. Let's stop, and stop for a minute. They know exactly why they're doing these things. They're pagans who believe in Zeus and Hermes. They're going, why are you doing these things? Now, you've got to understand, Dr. Luke is summarizing content. This may actually have been answered, and we don't know. Because in the, in the city of Lystra, according to Ovid, there is an interesting background story. Uh, Ovid remarks about a mythology that Zeus and Hermes actually came to this very area where Lystra is located. And in the deep recesses of history showed up and these people were inhospitable. They wouldn't wouldn't welcome Zeus and Hermes in the home because they looked like normal vagabonds. They're like, get away from us. But one couple welcomed them in. One couple brought them in and then suddenly they appeared to be the gods. They cursed the rest of the town, destroying it, and they turned their home into a beautiful marble temple. And it's the expression probably where their temple came from. And so this background of what's going on, of why are you doing these things, is the answer is, we're scared you're the gods and you're going to destroy us. We're scared you're going to harm us. Good questions open up the reasons people believe things. In fact, in mission work, in global mission work, the first thing that a missionary is taught is you go as a learner, you don't go to preach. Because until you understand the worldview, until you understand what you're looking at, you have no inroads. You don't know how what you say is going to be adopted into some other vision. And so that's what happens for Paul and Barnabas. So they finally stop. They say, what is going on here? Men, why are you doing these things? You know, we have some good questions I want to give to you guys. They're simple. Now, Kevin gave you some great questions. I hope you wrote those down two weeks ago. I'm going to give you some what I call um, kind of those questions that, that poke at people's views. And the reason why is because most people are just parrots. Can I just be honest? Most people are just watching YouTube going, ah, yeah. Bible's, Bible's made up. Oh, God doesn't exist. Science proved it. And it's like, what science? And how does science prove it? Can you show me the experiment? How does that work anyway? Put God in a test tube, shake it up, and it doesn't show up? And so the, there's some questions that in our kind, on our compassion, they're, they're giving us an expression. Well, you know, I don't believe that God, I don't believe in God because science has proven him. I like to just ask a couple quick questions there when I'm not monologuing. And that is, so, oh, okay, why do you believe that? Why do you, how, why do you believe science has proven? It's fascinating when you ask them back the question, how many people are like, uh, change the subject. They go, no, 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 I really want to know. The next question I'll usually ask is, oh, where, where, wow, interesting. Where did you get that from? You know what's fascinating? You can ask scientists this question. Ask a professor at a college that question. Oh, where'd you get that from? They'll note some study somewhere back there and say, oh, oh, is that a repeatable study? So you're trusting those guys. Oh, the study told me so. Well, how do you know the study's true? How do you know they weren't paid or there wasn't some reason that they had all this stuff? I mean, so many people base their thoughts because some scientists said so on CNN, and I believe them. You know how many people have told me, so where'd you get that idea from? The History Channel. Did you know the History Channel encourages that there are aliens that formed the, the very pyramids? I believe that too. What? 
And it can help you begin to dig into what are the sources. Everybody's got a source. Everybody has something that they think isn't lying to them behind what they believe. I happen to trust that the Bible is the word of God and it's not lying to me. And so, yeah, I base my vision of life off of the word of God. What do you trust? And that's really what we're trying to get at. What is it that you're trusting that gives you the answers that you believe isn't lying to you? And then how do you know it's not lying to you? These questions help you begin to delve in, to talk about what really matters when somebody is just giving you a cultural response. Men, why are you doing these things? Had a much larger response than probably we may have realized. Why do you believe that? Where'd you get that from? Or who told you? Why do you trust that? And oftentimes what we will find out is a lot of people are just believing things blindly, including some of you. Some of you are believing your Christianity absolutely blindly. You couldn't answer that question if I asked you. Why do you trust the Bible? We'll talk about that in the next series, actually. Why I think you should trust the Bible. Why I believe it's the Word of God. But then there's other questions like, well, how do you know God exists? How would you tell somebody that? And if you would stumble over some of those conversation pieces, some of those questions, and there are always going to be questions you're going to stumble over. The answer is very simple. That's interesting. Let's find out together. I don't know is always an okay answer. Let them say it, you say it, and then you follow it. Let's go find out. Because I have yet to have found a question that's been asked of the Bible that hasn't been explained in the last 1,500 years. You can be relatively confident that the Bible has a defense for the questions. And so maybe what you need to do is step forward and just go, I need to start moving on this. I got to get away from it. I, I, I just believe it mentality too. I, I understand what I believe. And you need to get there through um, various means. We have an apologetics class that meets on second service on, on our Sunday services that walks you through these conversations of why you should believe what you believe. And then, or you can take a starting point, which will really walk you through kind of the basics of why you should believe what you believe. And if you're interested in the starting point class, we've got that, that, um, that beautiful new uh, pathway out front here in the, on the other side of that wall. And on there, you'll see that it says you can text starting to 981 Should I sing it? 951 I'm just kidding. Um, and what I want to do is encourage you, if you need to take that step, you can sign up using the app or using that way. But it enables you forward. And we should be willing and ready to answer questions that are given to us as best as we can. I'm not saying you got to become, you know, the, the answer for everybody. In some cases, you go, I don't know. I'm going to ask my pastor and you guys are going to show up in my office and we're going to have fun and I can monologue. Blah, 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 blah. So you can tell me to shut up. It's fun. Number, th number three, you cut through the compassion or you cut through the confusion. Yes, with compassion. Yes, with telling, with asking questions, but next by building bridges. One of the important things is oftentimes you and I can be pegged into something that we're not. Um, and so are Paul and Barnabas. I mean, they literally were thought to be gods. And so what did they say? Hey, guys, we're men, like nature of you. We're, we're the same here. Human, flesh and blood, same thing. You know how many people I've had to sit next to on airplane flights and try to make chit-chat? And I sit down, hey, how are you doing? Good, good. How are you doing? Oh, good, good. So where are you headed? Oh, we're, going, oh, we're both going to the same place? Yeah, I forgot. And as you're sitting there, well, why are you headed there? What do you do for a living? 
And then eventually they turn around. Well, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I work for a global conglomerate that works for world peace and uh, the encouragement of human beings. No. Kind of true. I work for, you know, you know what I've come down to? I, I respond like this. Don't judge me. I'm a pastor. So funny to watch people like squirm. Because by referencing don't judge me, I'm doing something very specific. Because I said I'm a pastor, I've watched it. They're like, oh, you know, nice to meet you. Put my earbuds in, turn my phone on. The second I say don't judge me, all their thoughts, oh, I'm sitting next to a bigot. Oh, I'm sitting next to some crazy person that believes in God. Oh, I got a holy man next to me. This is going to be scary. When I say don't judge me, I, one, I tell those who think I can judge them that, hey, I'm a little like concerned you're going to judge me and I'm not out to judge you. Second, I'm telling them, look, I'm a human being. I'm not your caricature of a pastor. As a Christian, you're going to wear a lot of labels that aren't true. And as a Christian, you're going to, especially as it continues on in our culture, you're going to have to walk through the danger that they are going to not, they're going to break, break the bridges down before you even have a chance to build them. And we have to begin with things like, hey, look, don't judge me, but I'm a Christian. Or, you know what, I, you know, I know, I'm a sinner just like you. It's so important for people to realize who have never engaged with Christians that we don't think that we're holier than they are. Most of the time, I think they're probably a little better than I am because I needed Jesus. Okay? I have to have somebody else help me out. And the point is that we want to remind us, it's like, uh, look, I know you, you think I'm a bigot, but I'm not. I want to have this opportunity to connect with you. I believe in a God of love and truth. Look, I'm not really, I'm a Christian. I'm not really political. Now, I have views on political things from the Bible and how Jesus views it, but I really try to keep myself as a Christian before anything else. That's one of, my, one of the ways that I have to navigate the political conversations today because I want to ensure that I put Jesus first in my life. Now, that's just to help build a bridge. I want to have some connection. It may be as easy as like, dude, you like that game? I like that game. Oh, you love that team? I love that team. Oh, man, you're into that sport. I love that sport. It may be as simple connection as that, but you want to build bridges. And what they did is they said, we're not the gods. We're just like you. Hey, don't ignore us. We have a message for you. In fact, what they did next is they actually said, we're men of like nature like you who have brought and we bring you good news. And they said, we got this gospel for you. We want you to hear it. And they clarified the good news then. And that's the next goal. They cut through the confusion. Now you got to clarify. Once you've listened, once you've had compassion, you've listened, you've asked good questions, you've kind of gathered that journey, now you've begun to engage in conversation. You've built some bridges. Dude, it's, now it's time to clarify that gospel. It's time to get it out there. It's, you can do this rather quickly. You don't have to like, take five weeks. You can do it in one conversation. They did it in one day. And it's, it, you don't have to be like, it, it's not like rocket science here. So what, he do, what we do first is we point out towards God. We want people to hear this is about God, not about the messenger. And maybe you're not a Christian in here today, and you're here listening to this message, and you're thinking, blah, 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 talking about God, and you, you know, all this stuff, and you know, all, I, all I know is that you guys think we're sinners. And you know, it, here's the danger. 
The danger oftentimes is when we're engaging together, there is an enemy of our souls. And he wants you to be distracted by the messenger and not deal with God. It is easier to see the hypocrisy in Christians, the mess of the church, the lack of organization, or because it's organized. There are a thousand ways to look at the messenger and say, I don't need to listen to the message. That is first a logical fallacy. But second, it's just not who you need to deal with. When it comes to some of the teachings of the gospel, you know what? I don't want there to be a hell. Who in their right mind wants to invent a location that people are going to suffer for eternity in? That, you know, there has to be some really strong logical reasons there and some very out of human thinking. And the reason I trust and the reason I believe is because I believe this is the Word of God. Now, there are things I believe that I'm not comfortable with, that I'm not going to go, I'm so excited, you know. No, I'm so excited about judgment. No, I'm not excited about judgment. Do I think justice will occur at judgment? Absolutely. And should we be glad justice will occur? Absolutely. But not because it's attached to people. There's pain. There's reality. And here's the thing. When it comes to the gospel, we have to point to the person. They said, we have good news about a living God. That's what they're going to go to. They're saying, don't look at us. We're just people. Look at God. Deal with God. Deal with him. Don't look at us. That's a cop-out. If you're wrestling through whether Christianity is true, deal with God. Because it's easy to look at the church. It's easy to look at Christians. You'll find plenty of reasons that this is crazy. Because we're filled with crazy people. Let's just be honest with ourselves for a minute, aren't we? You don't get to pick everybody who goes to your church. And you're like, well, who's the crazy person? If you're asking that question, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> your pastor's crazy. That's how it works. So second, point out the meaninglessness of what they're trusting. In the gentlest way you possibly can, you need to point out that they need to turn to good news from vain things. Now, this is an interesting word. This word vanity means meaningless, pointless, empty things. And it means it's unhelpful to their life. And, they, you know, I think we could all agree, whether we're Christians or not, Zeus and Hermes were probably not very helpful for them. They could sacrifice bulls and do all kinds of stuff, but those statues sitting in that temple wasn't going to help them a whole lot in the end of the day. I mean, it wasn't that statue that made somebody stand up and walk. It wasn't the statues and the sacrifices that were going to save their soul. No, it was something completely different. And so we could all agree that that was vain and pointless things. But today, man, medicine, man, that heals people. Man, you know, economics, it lifts people. Oh, man, we got to realize there are these good, good things that we have today. But you know what? Still to this day, we give ourselves over to vain things all the time. I mean, how many drug addicts and partiers and drunks don't even realize that they're just mimicking a god of the ancient world named Bacchus? They would worship Bacchus by getting drunk and doing drugs and things to have a good time on the weekends in the ancient world. And it was considered one of the worst things because they watched people's lives fall apart. And yet what we do, and the devil will want you to do, is go, look at that awesome celebrity. He parties every weekend. He's okay. And what he's doing is keeping you distracted from the hordes of humanity who are dying from alcoholism, drug abuse. You watch these, these people who are having sex on screens and making tons of money for it, and everything's good, and it's all free love and hookup culture and all this stuff, and all to get you, and they're fine, all to get you to ignore 
the hordes of humanity dying from the STDs, dying from the broken relationships, feeling worthless and horrible. He gets you to stare at your magic screen to look at that beauty and that popularity and that power and that thing, only to make you realize how many other people are just longing for it and wasting their lives away, pining for popularity and fame and missing out on living life. How many vain and worthless things do we actually engage with? Many, many more than we could ever imagine. And we need to be willing to be a little bit bold to say, that won't get you anywhere. But I know someone who will. That will lead you to death. That will lead you to destruction. But there is one who will give you life. And I want to point you to that one. I want to point you to the God who actually acts in this world. And that's what they do. They point them away to a living God. Here's how he puts it. If I can get there. To a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. To a living God. That word living, when it's used of of living water, well, it's always a weird thought. It means flowing water. It means active. It means moving. When we talk about a living God, we don't mean a statue sitting in a temple. We mean a God who exists and works in the world. We're not talking about good old grandpa God sitting up in heaven who spun everything, sitting there going, that's cute. Look at those bad little people. (laughs) That's an impotent, ridiculous God. Far more the God of America than the God of the Bible. And what I want to show you guys is that an opportunity for us to engage with the real God who really existed, who I met in high school, who knocked me down in the middle of my high as he woke me and showed me that I needed Jesus Christ, who appeared to me in a vision and shook me to enter me into ministry. The God who's come to your lives, who's woke you from the word of God, who's called you out, who's healed some of your cancers. I mean, I was standing around in Trader Joe's of all the places just last week. And this is the second story like this in our, in our church just in the last few months. And this couple's doing their thing. And I'm like, ah, they go to the church. And I'm like on vacation. So I'm sort of like, ah, they're going to the church. I'm going to go this way. You know, kind of, I'm going to make sure I, I keep on my vacation. And they're like, oh, Pastor Ray. They turn around, they come up to me and they're like, we've been meaning to talk to you. This is so exciting. I'm like, okay, Pastor Sudan, here we go. I'm like, what are we going to talk about? They're like, God's healed my cancer. And I'm like, uh, I'm going to follow over in Trader Joe's. This is awesome. Like, they're just so excited. Her, she went in, her screening was completely clear, no cancer, and it was dated back to when we prayed as a community over her. There's a second story of cancer being removed. Two of them in our church from that day of prayer. God acts, He works. And that's just him active now. Look, they said the God who created the earth and the sea and all is in them. You got to be in like, you got to be out of nerd zone, honestly. You got to be away from nerd zone to realize how much science is backing up the reality of God right now. Whether it's the confirmations of the Big Bang, whatever you think about that, let's just put it this way. If there was a Big Bang, that means there was a beginning of the universe. What started that? Oh, it's a multiverse. That's fine. You want a multiverse? Why are other universes crashing into us right now then? Because if there's a multiverse, the universes are all expanding. What, at different rates? That's fine-tuning. There's all kinds of weird stuff. I won't get into that monologue. Greg, shut up. So the point is, when you get into the details of the science from the fact that information is in every single one of your cells encoded in a digital form called DNA, and information only is found where there's somebody who's an informant, a programmer, 
When you examine the fine-tuning of the universe and microscopically the very things that enable the universe to expand, gravity to work, for the very atomic, the atomic world to, to keep together, all these variables, if they're moved microscopically, it doesn't work. You have no humanity, you have no earth, you have no universe. So finely razor-tuned. And what's before it? There is so much aspect of the fact that God created the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Guys, we have so much available to us. And it's amazing to be able to offer to people. We can point them to the living God, the real God who walks about, or who dwells amongst us, who walked this earth in the first century, Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead. And we can point out that that God has revealed himself in the good. This is so important, guys. I want you to, if you catch anything in this sermon, catch this. When you explain the gospel, let them know that God has, the, has given them the good. Notice how Paul puts this. It's amazing. He says, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. He lets you have your drugs. He lets you have your sexual escapades. He lets you live apart from the, that marriage for that time. He lets you get those divorces. Yes, he allowed you to go out there and to enjoy all of the mess of life. Oh, sure, he enabled you to just lie like a crazy person. He allowed you all that pornography. Oh, sure, he gave you the time to get out there and eat like a crazy person until you were gluttonous and overwhelmed. Oh, sure, God gave you that opportunity to all of this stuff for life. He wasn't concerned at this point. He was ignoring the nations. Go ahead, worship your gods, do your things. Yet, he didn't leave himself without a witness. I love this. He says in generations past he did this, which implies that he's done doing this. He's done leaving you alone. Gone is the day that he's left you to do your thing and to die in your destruction. Now he's pursuing you. Now he loves you and longs for you and seeks you and pursues you because he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear all that garbage of destruction and death away from you. He calls you to a relationship. He's not trying to scare you into a relationship with him by telling you there's hellfire and brimstone waiting for you. He's trying to woo you to show you I love you. He didn't leave himself without a witness. He did good by giving you rains in the heavens and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Not those idols. God gave you the good. Not that economics. God brought the sun that grew the grain, that fed the cow, that ended up in your burger at Burger I Am, okay? God is the provider of the things that we have. He's the one who gave us the world that surrounds us, the very, very physics that keep us grounded. Thank God for gravity and friction, for goodness sakes. And what we have here is a God who is glad to give you good things. He's been waking you and shaking you and trying to woo you, to show you, I love you. I'm not here to judge you anymore. That's already been done. You got plenty built up. Come, I have good things for you. I have a son named Jesus who bore all of the destruction, all of your sin, all of your garbage. If you will simply give it to him, he'll bear it away from you. He'll open the door. You can have a relationship with me. You can walk with me and know me. I'll dwell in you. I'll lead you. I'll shape you. I'll change you. I'll make the word of God come to life for you. I will challenge you. I will never leave you alone. I will never forsake you. I will lift you in your destruction. I will help you in your times of woe. I will mourn with you. I will cheer with you. I will dance over you. I love you. That's what God's been saying. And that's what God wants us to tell our friends. God loves you. 
It's not this love you where you're at and leave you alone. It's I want to love you so much. I want to end your life. And I want to mess with you to make you the best that you can be. Because I love you to not leave you alone. I love how Paul puts it in another letter that he writes to the Romans. He says, do you presume on the riches of his kindness, his patience, his forbearance, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's his kindness, his goodness that is meant to call people to him. Let's get into the business of calling people to the goodness that God has given to them. Let's get into the business of calling them to see that God has loved them even more than they could have ever even imagined even right now before they've received him. That even though they may be his enemies, he loves them and has given his son for them. If they would receive him, they would be then forgiven. And they would have a relationship with God. And we need to clarify the gospel then in a culture of confusion. And I get you're like, Greg, that was a lot. Uh, How in the world am I going to do that? Well, you're going to do it bit by bit, um, but let me give you a simple way. Maybe you have somebody you've been praying for, and you could start off with this. Coming up this uh, weekend is this opportunity, or sorry, on August 23rd, is this opportunity to do this. It's called the, the SoCal Harvest. Um, it used to be called the Harvest Crusade, forgive me, but uh, it's called, they call it the SoCal Harvest. And you're like, yeah, I know what that is. Isn't that a rock concert where we tell people, come to a rock concert, and then they get Jesus thrown at them? Yeah, that's right. Let me give you an invitation that works. You go to your friend that you've been talking to, you build a bridge with, you're compassionate about, and you say, hey, you know, we've been talking, and I would love to share with you about my faith. I'm just not very good at it. Can I invite you somewhere with me that you can come meet somebody who's good at it? And then you say, and what's cool is, yeah, there's, there's some music and stuff beforehand, but this guy's going to explain what Christianity is all about. Would you mind coming to the harvest thing with me. We could go to Angel Stadium. It's free. It's cool. And now you're honest. And now you have an invitation you don't have to feel frustrated about. And I want you guys to be able to do that. Because I understand not all of us can clarify the gospel quickly. And it takes time. And so maybe you need uh, to step up and have an opportunity to use this good news track that we've developed. They're sitting out there in our, 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 our center, our little wall of resources. There's the word I'm looking for. And uh, this is not to give to your friends. We do not believe in, I dropped a track. I fall. I shared Jesus. Don't do that. (laughs) Not that that doesn't work and not that some of us weren't saved like that. That's not designed for that. This is designed for you. So you have notes to help you explain the faith. And so you can go like, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm going to, can I read this to you? Or whatever. You can read it over before you have your conversation with your friends. But it's there for you as almost like crib notes. You know, like cheater's notes. It's okay to cheat. Keep it with you. Pull it out when you need it. And it's an opportunity like that. Finally, maybe it's just that you need to develop it. And this final thing is that you guys text share to that number. Uh, When you do that, you join our share keystone. And that share keystone is there designed to help you grow in your confidence and ability to do the very things we've talked about today. Now, you're going, Greg, you got a lot more to go here. How are we going to close that up? Very easy. Just because we can preach the gospel and just because we can engage with the gospel, I want you guys to hear one thing. Yes, drop the restriction of cultural confusion. And the last restriction we need to n- drop is the, is the feeling like, wow, they don't like us. You know what? The bottom line, the rest of the chapter is about expecting trouble. 
In fact, let me just read you how bad this gets. When they had preached the gospel, or sorry, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering a sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, taking rocks, chucking it at his head. He's down on the ground. He's bloody. And supposing that he was dead, they drag him out of the city. But when the disciples gathered around him, this is crazy. Paul rose up. Now, if you've ever even seen or heard of how stoning goes, uh, there have been some movies that have tried to display it. It's brutal, absolutely brutal to have tons and tons of rocks thrown at you from lots of people. The question a lot of scholars ask is, was he, even, was, was he risen, brought back from the dead? Because how do you survive a stoning? Even if he hadn't, I mean, this guy gets up, and you just, you want to see what, what gospel presentation looks like. This dude is just steely-eyed and, like, fierce. He's just like, no, oh, no, you didn't. I'm going back in. And he just walks back in. The disciples gather around him. He rose up, entered the city, and on the next day, he spends the night. He's like, you're going to stone me? I'll show you. I'm sleeping here. I want you guys to hear this. I'm not getting away from this. And so he continues on with that message. And he preaches that gospel in Derby. So he goes on south a little bit further to that place in Derby. And so it goes on. When they had preached the gospel in that city, meaning in Derby, he and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. Okay, so they're going to go back. Then they go back to Iconium, where all these guys are coming from, and then back to Antioch. And what are they doing? Well, they're strengthening the souls of the church, of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith. How, Paul? By saying that though there may be many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. There it is. Paul takes the very event of his stoning and the pains that he has and says, listen, this is how you enter into the kingdom of God. If you're going to give the gospel away, if you're going to engage, it is going to involve flipsis. That's the Greek word. Struggle, suffering, persecution, tribulations. This is what Jesus told us. Jesus put it this way. I've, seen, I've said these things that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You're going to have tribulation, but God's going to be with you. In fact, Paul goes on as he tells his protege, You, however, have followed my teaching. My conduct, Timothy, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be living a happily ever after life in a suburban city. Don't I wish? That's what it said. And yet, think about it. We're nervous because they don't like us. We don't want to open our mouths because they might, they might not want us to tell them this. No, they're not going to want us to. That's why our compassion must grow. Our compassion for the 200,000 plus people surrounding us must grow. Our compassion for those that we love must grow. And we need to know that we may 
bother somebody with the message that God loves them. And we may bother somebody with the message that God is forgiving them of their sins. And we may bother somebody with the message that God wants to bless them through all eternity. And yes, we may sound like raving fools to them as we introduce a living God to them that they don't think's alive because they want to hold on to things that actually aren't helping them. And we need to be willing to, to tell them hard things out of love and compassion that just maybe, just maybe, they would see that God truly is giving it to giving them this chance. And so they do this, they preach this, and they keep going. They dropped every, every restriction. And they sail all the way back home. I'm going to sum up the rest of this. And when they get back home, what it says in the end at the very last sentence is really uh, they go down to at Lydia, they do this whole sailing thing, and then they finally land and they start talking about all of that God, all that God had done. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. And how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And there remained no little time with the disciples. They were there for a while, celebrating that the gospel had gone global. Guys, we get to celebrate the gospel went global. It came to the United States. Centuries ago, it came across the country. It came to Corona through people who said, not I can't, but I can. It's come to your life by not people who said I can't, but by parents and loved ones and evangelists and pastors and friends who said I can and I'm willing to. And we need to be able to say I can. If we're going to see the 200,000 people surrounding us hear the message of God's love and God's redemption and the transformation, we need to, they need to know that we're willing to, that we would say I can. And then as people give their life, we need to celebrate. We need to cheer when people come up out of that water. We need to shout about it and, and rejoice because we have brothers and sisters and people have been saved for eternity from the destruction that we've brought on ourselves. What an opportunity to be a part of this. What an opportunity. I hope this whole series has done one thing. It's just to get under your skin enough to make you go, I got to get out there. I got to get back in the game. I got to get engaged. I got to bring this message to somebody I love. And it's time. It's time. Would you bow your heads with me? When I say it's time, I also mean it's time for some of you in this room who maybe you've heard this message and I hope that you're captured with the fact that God's pursuing you. Because he is. God is pursuing you because he loves you. It's been enough time to go through all of those things of life. And before they destroy you, before they bear their fruit in your life, and maybe they already even have, I want to give you an opportunity to hear of God's love and receive it. You see, Jesus came to this earth because he knew that we we're being destroyed and we were going to die and judgment was on us and all that stuff. But God and his love and his desire gave his son to die on the cross, to bear our sins, that we may be forgiven if you're willing to receive him. And it's that last part, are you willing to receive him? It's not about how good you are. It's not about how great you've done with things. It's not how bad you are. And God could never forgive you. No, no, God knows you and he knew all of us before we were here. And he already loved you to give you this gift. But now it's with you. Would you receive it? Will you receive God's love? 
this opportunity to be forgiven, this opportunity that he would move into your life to live with you and to, to dwell with you, to, yeah, even mess and shape and change you and help you in the midst of the difficulties and all of that. If you're willing to receive his gift to you of Jesus Christ, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. You just say, that's me. I'm putting my hand up. And just put your hand up in the air saying, that's me. I want to receive him tonight. I get it. You may be like, I don't know. I don't know. If you, if you want, you want to let me know, just put that hand up and I'll, I'll walk you through a prayer where you can just express that to God. Then, Lord, I want to lift this room up to you tonight, and I want to ask you to do us a favor. And I know that's a weird thing to ask you, God, for a favor after you've given us so much. But that favor, God, I ask is that this series wouldn't leave us alone. Would you keep bringing it back to our minds? Would you keep bringing the compassion back to our hearts? Would you keep bringing the opportunities up everywhere we go? That, God, you would be known that your love would be expressed to those who have never heard it and surround us and those who have never heard it in the global world. We ask your blessing in these ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we're going to sing a song about what we get to enjoy as Christians, which is God's closeness to us. So would you stand and join us?
How great is his love for us, guys. Isn't that incredible? He is a great God who has loved us in an incredible way. Hey, a couple of things before we go today. First of all is thank you, teachers. We love you guys, and we are just so just excited. You, The calling of God is upon you to do what you do. And again, let's just thank the teachers in the room and just keep praying for them this next couple of weeks. Next week, though, we want to encourage you guys to begin to understand. We're starting a new series next week, but before I do that, I want to talk about our season of spiritual growth. It's something we do every year. We call everybody, hey, get connected in a small group. You're not really known unless you're known by name, and really the best place to do that is in a small group. And that could be just four of you to six of you or more, and we're doing a series called Kicking Down Sandcastles. There's a little um, card on the on the. Uh, chairs there for you. And really, it's going to explain kind of what that, in, what that uh, 
uh, what do we call that thing? Yeah, series. That's the word. What that series is about and what it looks, uh, what we're going to be talking about and how you can join into a small group or start a small group. Really, we want to encourage everybody to be found in some kind of smaller unit where you're known and you're connecting with people to grow. And so that's there. We're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. But also, we have a new series next week, and it's about the Bible. It's about can you trust it? We're calling it Static, and it's an opportunity for you to ask the questions of like, hey, how do I know this Bible's accurate, and how do I know it's the Word of God? Those are two big questions in order to trust this book and trust what this book is. And so we're going to dive into that. There's going to be some YouTube things we're going to be presenting and putting together, we hope. And we're doing all that kind of cool stuff for you just so you can use this as a way to encourage people to come learn, come grow, and come discover more. So... In fact, one final way for you to discover more, if you're new here tonight, it's your first time, maybe it's been a few weeks, um, and you're like, hey, I don't know you guys that well. We're doing something called Meet the Family. It's right out there on the uh, courtyard, and it's a chance to meet uh, me, some of the other staff members, and some of the church members, just to say, hey, I'm new. I would love to ask some questions and poke at this place a little bit. We love that. We'd like to get to know you and begin that conversation. So if you'd like to meet us, we'll be right out there outside. So why don't you turn around and meet somebody maybe you haven't met yet and have a great evening and a great rest of your weekend. God bless you.